Welcome to the Making Hay podcast with Marsha Miller from RFG Advisory. In this podcast, we help veterinarians, from new graduates to seasoned practitioners, navigate the sometimes tricky waters of personal finance. We all know the saying, making hay while the sun shines. As cheesy as it sounds, it represents a lot of what we help people do in their financial lives and businesses. We know each of you faces unique challenges, and we're here to offer advice tailored just for you. Anchored in service, stewardship, and a genuine understanding of your profession. Join Marsha Miller, your guide on this journey. Marsha has spent over 25 years in financial services, and her passion is helping vets like you get a handle on your finances. Tune into each episode as we meet at the intersection of veterinary practice and financial management. With help from expert guests and insights from Marsha's own experience, we're going to tackle your biggest financial questions head on. Hello, and welcome to the Making Hay podcast with Marsha Miller. Marsha, it's always good to be with you, and I'm so excited to be with you today. Hey, Bill. Good to see you, too. It's nice to see you. I was looking over the notes for this particular episode, and I, I got intrigued. I, I started naming it in my mind, FinTech meets vet tech, if you will. So that's a pretty good title. We'll see. We'll think about that one. That's really good. Yeah, we have a very interesting guest today. Who might might you be talking with? Yeah. So we have Dr. Jordan Hutchison. He's an industry expert and thought leader in the financial technology and financial planning profession. He has held various executive leadership and academic teaching roles in the financial services industry. In these roles, Jordan managed enterprise relationships, assembled wealth technology platforms, spearheaded sales, led product strategy, and coached advisors. He is currently the Vice President of Technology for RFG Advisory Corporate and an adjunct professor for Kaplan's College for Financial Planning. Jordan holds multiple industry certifications, a master's in financial planning, and a doctorate in business administration, specifically in behavioral science and positive psychology. In his recent research, he studied flow theory and work engagement of financial planners. As vice president of technology at RFG Advisory, Jordan brings his immense industry experience and passion for fintech to help push RFG to always being on the cutting edge of wealth technology. He works closely with advisors to create new strategies to enhance the client experience through technology, education, and innovation. Woo, what a mouthful. Welcome, Jordan. Happy to be here. Sorry for the the long intro of it. I love it. You have a, a lot of accomplishments, definitely. So um, we like to call you Dr. J around our office. So that's what everyone at RFG Advisory Corporate knows you by. So we'll go with that today. We're happy to have you here, and we're going to talk about investor psychology and investor behavior and and all things that are in your wheelhouse. I love so I it. Didn't and, know with that. Yeah, and the the Doctor J was a I, I happily embrace it as a great. He was a the original Doctor J, a basketball player, was always a a very foundational player in the game, and so mm-hmm. as a former player myself, many years past retired and not to the level he exceeded, but I gladly accept it. So I love the title. So thanks. Well, I know you guys can't see the video of this. Hopefully one day we'll have some video on YouTube, but there are basketballs in the background and Dr. J is six, seven. So (laughs) he stands tall and um, he's a force to be reckoned with in every way. So today we're going to talk about, like I said, investor psychology or investor behavior. I got really fascinated with this many years back and just really 
dove into some of the research and, and white papers that I got my hands on, Dalbar's famed investor behavior research paper, uh, among many. And just think, you know, in most cases, as, as humans, our instincts and biases serve as well. But when it comes to money, our brain tends to get in the way, right? That's so, um, you know, tell us about the research that you've been exposed to and and get us going on this topic. Yeah, I'll, I'll start off with the one that you mentioned that was kind of like the the foundation to investor behavior and research was the Dalbar study. And it really showed the difference in what advisors, you know, or what clients are, you know, advisors in client the returns they were getting in their portfolio versus the actual returns of the fund or of that they or the investment that they were investing in. And there was this spread. And sometimes we talk about it in the industry as the behavior gap. And so that spread of the return. So for example, say that the average return of a portfolio gets, let's just say 8%. And then the average return of this client or investor was 2%. There's a spread there and that delta of the two was quantified as a behavior gap and that the choices that the investor were making of either buying at a set of buying low and selling high, they were doing the opposite and conversely selling at the wrong time and buying at the wrong time. And it was creating a spread in actually their returns. And so that research was really foundational that opened the eyes. And then in other parts, the broader behavioral world, two behavioral economists won Nobel Prizes in behavioral economics. And that really was like that stamp of approval, like, hey, this psychology thing in finance is real. We might actually be onto something here that's a, that's of value, that's quantifiable, where sometimes, you know, us on the, the psychology conversation, people are like, okay, okay, like, what, what do you, what, is this real? Is this, you know, heavy quantifiable things? Because we work in finance, everything is drilled down to that heavy number. So that's a, a great study. And there, there's a few more that I always like to to cite that we can kick off this conversation with is Vanguard, which is a lot of us are familiar with Vanguard being because it either manages our 401k or, you know, from the funds that are that we use. But Vanguard even published a study here recently, and they constantly every year update it that shows by working with an advisor, they help in that 3% spread. And so they add 3% of value to your portfolio return by quality portfolio construction, financial planning tools. Marsha, you work in the vet space. And so understanding that deep understanding of their business structure, the needs, everything from how does pet insurance work to how do you structure your business? These are questions that they probably have one class or something they teach on when they're in veterinarian school, but this is your expertise. You add a ton of value there. And then the third part is just the behavioral coaching, which we'll get into this more, but no one wants to be told, hey, Jordan, you're overconfident and that might be a problem for your investments. However, you are aware of these tools, you're aware of these insights and biases. So you're able to to mas massage them in or stealth those conversations in to help a client understand. But those are two really big foundational studies that kind of put the stamp of approval in our industry on it. That's good stuff. You know, there's also the Fidelity study, which I was all about this Fidelity study when I first heard about it, because it says that they've analyzed all the portfolios at Fidelity and they came out to say that the best portfolios were either from people who forgot their logins 
or from their dead clients. And I was just like, yes, I told you, you know, don't look at your account. So I'm telling my clients always leave that up to us. And then I found out the whole thing was a myth, you know? <laughs> but it's still kind of funny. It's, and it's so true. And there's, I mean, there's been like studies that come out that kind of touch on it, but early in my career, I thought it was a real one too. And obviously when we hear fidelity, it's such a big name in the industry as a, you know, where we custody assets that we're like, oh, this has got to be legitimate. And so the the fidelity study, there is some good validity to it, though, that a lot of times uh, I use the, coin, the the phrase of like action is great for your health. So like, yes, we all know we should be exercising for so many days a week, all those things. However, action is not great for your wealth. So always making you know, if you're constantly trading, there's tons of research that shows that the people that are trading more frequently are actually when you're putting in cost of taxes and cost of any of those transactions, or even just the trading cost or the in, moving in and out of a portfolio, your returns are lower than somebody that invested, stuck to their risk profile and stuck to the investment goals and objectives they had. So there is a lot of, uh, it is lore in our space, but there is a lot of validity that if you're making good decisions and you're not in there playing around and tinkering with it, that you're actually going to be on a better path. That's so true. So we're talking about all this and with all of your study and research, what exactly, what what impact does it have investor behavior on their financial decisions, on clients' financial decisions or people's financial decisions? Really, what does that, what does that mean? Yeah. So the biggest impact I think comes in a few ways, but one I'll mention that's, you know, we'll, we'll step back a little bit and we'll talk on like some of the the softer side of it, which it's arguably the harder side because it's more difficult, but the f- the fulfillment piece. And there's actually so much research showing that people that work with advisors and there's actually interesting research out of that actually came out of a large institution in Canada that showed that people that were working with a financial advisor, financial planner, their well-being was actually higher than people that did not. And I thought that was quite unique in the fact that how would someone that's handling your money and all of this impact your well-being? And so understanding investment behavior and how we react, there's so many layers we can go deeper on that. But one I'll mention is just think about your emotions, depending on the day. Where I'm based in Atlanta, Georgia, we have horrible traffic here. I think that's pretty widely known. Mm -hmm. And so I I always use the example that if you took, I was in traffic and anyone that is, you know, New York City, LA, they probably can say that Atlanta is pretty, pretty painful compared to even those two. But if you're going to make a fine, you're going to come into a a meeting with your advisor, or you're even just going to go anywhere after sitting in that fighting there's you're trying to merge to just your stress level is high. And then you're going to go and make a very important decision. Your adrenaline's going to be going, you're, you're high in emotional state. And there's actually, you know, you're, there's research that shows that in times of duress and stress, you lose 13% of your IQ. I mean, I want to have all my IQ when I'm making financial decisions. So I so, had no idea. 13%. <laughs> it goes down. So, oh, wow. And that's just one piece of it. But, like, your, they call it your affect. So, like, that feeling you have in that mindset you're at, you're, you're almost in like a fight or flight. You don't want to make decisions at that time. So, thinking about what's going on in your life, we all have things happening in life. We're at, you know, a great time in the year right now where it should be such a fun time, but can be one of the most stressful. You don't want to make decisions unless you have a great sounding board. 
Mm-hmm. And if you don't have that thinking partner, that sounding board of an advisor or planner, it's really hard for you to make sound decisions because we don't know what state we're in. We don't know who's going to help us. Hey, Jordan, maybe this is really what you were wanting to do. Maybe you want the experience of spending time with your family and less of like, hey, you want to buy this beach house or mountain home. So maybe it's just that you love the, the, the experience of being with your family or having everyone together. Having someone to talk those things through, there's always an underlying financial conversation there. Mm-hmm. And so I, I truly think that it's, if we step back, money is one of the most stressful things. We all know that from relationships, money, religion, kids, those are some of the most salient and like most important things to discuss. It's the same with your advisor. Those are huge things that you want to talk through with somebody. So your mm-hmm. overall well-being, I think, is just so important when it comes to working and understanding your investment behavior. Yeah, I find that so true. I I know for a fact that I spend more time talking with my clients and being a financial coach than I talk about portfolio construction. You know, we're talking about all of those things um, and being, like you said, a thinking partner, you know, to help them think through even like, you know, legacy planning and, you know, given, you know, what is important about this money and, and helping them think through how they want to continue out their planning. So Great points there. Well, let's jump to behavioral finance biases and how they can, you know, definitely they can influence our judgment about how we spend money and how we invest. But what exactly is behavioral biases? No, and that's a good one. And that's the, um, I, I hinted towards a couple of them in the, like the the last few statements. The behavioral bias, it's true that we have this huge amount every year, I feel like an academic finds another like layer to a behavioral bias. And a lot of times I always try to look at them in more of a positive light. When we hear bias, we think purely negative. And so I I always, when we're talking about clients and like advisors, I always try to think that sometimes these aren't always bad. If you think about with the the niche that you work in, if a veterinarian is going to start their own practice, that takes a large amount of confidence and risk. And so if they do have a layer of overconfidence, then that's pretty good because it's hard to start a business. It's hard to be an entrepreneur, even though they're a medical you know, doctor, that it's completely different. They're starting their own practice and they've got to find new business. And I mean, so there's a whole layer to it that I think that changing the framing that it's always negative, but behavioral biases, they're heuristics, or these tendencies where we might go against the actual, the best decision because of our emotional or cognitive bias that we have. And to name like a couple that uh, if if it's safe to say your favorite biases, the uh, one that I mentioned earlier about action is great for our health, but bad for our wealth is there's a, there's a behavioral bias called action bias. And it's truly in those times that we're at high stress or there's a high amount of emotion, we feel like we need to do something. And even in times when we have a high amount of anxiety, the advice is to like go for a walk or go work out like because that'll help get that anxiety out. Well, when it comes to investing, you don't want to do that because if the market is you know going up or going down or it's volatile or whatever, this is the moment you call your financial advisor. They call you, Marsha. They don't need to be in their trading because it could be bad. And there's a really foundational study in the action around action bias that I think a lot of people would love to hear is that it was actually done on soccer players and actually keepers. So the goalie. And obviously, I'm a fan of Ted Lasso people. Maybe some listeners are fans of Ted Lasso as well. If you're not, you should go check it out. I think it's a great TV show. 
Um, it's definitely a good feel good one. But the keeper, they studied penalty kicks. So whenever there's a penalty in, in the box, there's a penalty, they come, they have one on one, basically a kick from that goal to or from that spot to the keeper. It's just them. And so they studied, should you jump one way or should you stand still or should you jump the other way? And actually, the research showed that you should just stand still. The likelihood of you stopping that kick, you should just stand still, that that's the best decision and best percentage likelihood of you stopping that kick. However, any soccer or we should say like football fans, they know that they always dive one way, like they'll dive one direction. And so it's crazy because you have the crowd yelling at you, the stress, and the same goes with investments and portfolios, financial planning in the realm we work in, because there's a lot of times, and I'll use an example from a female business owner I used to work with early in my career. She used to say, Jordan, I just need to keep my hands in the boat. Like I'm I'm always wanting to like steer, put my oar in the water and steer this where I just need to keep my hands to myself, let it take me where I need to go. And so that's one of the biases I think that's just so impactful in our space. Wow, that was interesting. I need to do that too. It, it was it reminds me this may not relate to everyone, but in the south we have a lot of deer everywhere this time of year. They're they're moving and so like at so night true. you're going to see deer on the side of the road, right? And I remember when I was learning to drive, my dad said, "Just keep going straight. Don't try to swerve and avoid the deer because that's where, where you're going to have an accident." You know? Right. And that's so hard to do because, you know, you want to take control, right? So that was good. That was really good. And control is one of those things too, like thinking of, um, it's such a, it's such almost like a cliche saying, but like having comfortable, having the comfortable feeling with like the uncertainty, like being comfortable with the uncertainty of the markets and how, yes, you know, past performance does give us like guidance on things moving forward, but that uncertainty of we all want to be in control. And it's really hard that, to not act when we need to do some of those things. And so that's why the relationship with an advisor is so foundational and just paramount because you've got to trust them that they've got you. That's what they do. That's why you're here, Marshall. Like you're here to help. And that's what you do all day is to monitor those things and work with experts in that space so that they can go do what they're great at and more fulfilling for them. Exactly. We want our veterinarians to focus on taking care of animals and running their practice or going to their job and what they're passionate about, not worrying about everything financial. So, well, can you speak on another, just one other bias quickly and we'll kind of move on from that. And I mean, what's another one of your favorites (laughs) or that's, (laughs) that's, that's very common that we, you know, I think awareness is, is really what this is all about today is I think investors can become aware of what they're doing. It'll help them in the future. Yeah, I think a lot of times too, because there's, you know, there's hundreds, there's over a hundred of them. There's almost like, I think 200 and no one will ever know every single one. I mean, even people on my side where I teach a designation all around investor behavior, it's still, do I know them and understand them on some of them? It's just, there's so many, there's no way you could be an expert on every single one, but there are so many that are more salient and more just more in our space of around decision-making around money. And so one that I'll mention, just because I work also in the tech space and we see this one quite frequently, and I think it'll resonate with people who are using Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, whatever it is, there's a bias that's really commonly known as confirmation bias. And it's known as like the, the God of all biases. Like it's the biggest one or it's the boss of all biases in some ways because it's so strong. And I think that we're not going to go down the political conversation because that's always a, a slippery slope. 
but it's go it lives in that space too because we all have our opinions about so many different things but i'll, I'll go back to like instagram facebook and tiktok kind of world confirmation bias is where we always have this likelihood of we want to always seek out confirming beliefs so if we have a certain belief about something we love to go find something that confirms our thought on that like this is the right way to do it and then you find like one article about it and you're like yep see i was right i knew it the whole time and a lot of times you it's best to find conflicting so that you can find and you know discuss well is this true or is this me just being really emotional or not broadening my belief about something. And a lot of times with the markets, it's like, well, I use Amazon every day. Of course, it's a great investment. Well, that's might not be true based on what your portfolio is, your life, like what age are you at? What are your goals and aspirations? Maybe you don't need to be. And so uh, confirmation bias, I, I think, is one of those big ones where on a, if you think about to go back to the tech one is when you're scrolling on your Facebook or Instagram story, they're feeding you content that you have already shown interest in. Right. So they're confirming <laughs> your belief of like, oh, I love like maybe part, I'm not going to say it always is, but maybe part of my Instagram uh, search is making certain foods. And so I'm like, oh, I love desserts. Well, they're starting to populate all these cool desserts for Christmas time. Like, and I'm like, oh, I want to make that. I want to eat that. And now I'm hungry. So it's like they're constantly confirming those things. And that's true with technology, but it's also true in just how we make decisions that we're constantly looking for things that don't go conflicting against our identity as a person or our beliefs. And so I think confirmation bias is another big one that we see in just all decision making, but very purposefully in finance too. Yeah. It kind of reminds me of like herd mentality or herd behavioral bias, you know, where, yeah. and a lot of times that works out well, you know, if you follow the crowd and you're investing, you know, staying invested in the S&P 500 or whatever, you know, asset class and you're staying invested, that usually works. But when people start letting get fear involved and they start selling off, I mean, we all know how that turns out, you know, it's going to sell off to a bottom and the people who held on are going to, it's going to has nowhere to go, but straight up. Right. Um, so that's, I don't know if that's a similar bias or not, but to me that, that brought that to mind for me. No, you're a hundred percent right. And hurting is a big one too. I mean, it's one of the conversations that, you know, you've probably, we've both seen all these charts a million times because we've been in the business long enough where you would think some things change, but it's crazy how some things always stay the same. And it's like talking about fun flows, like the flows. And so it goes back to that Dalbar study of when people are buying and selling sometimes at the wrong time, herd mentality, a lot of times you think that the wisdom of the crowd is always right. Not necessarily. In some situations like, hey, where's the line at when I'm, you know, out at this, uh, I don't know, let's say like Six Flags or Disney World, and I'm trying to find like the right where the end of the line is, or, you know, I see this, where's the shorter line at the grocery store, maybe seeing where the crowd's moving might be helpful there. But when it comes to the investment world, sometimes it's not. And we see that a lot of times in fund flows where when things are going well or one asset class is going there, everyone's buying in it. And that's probably not the best time because it's already gone up. Exactly. And the same when things are going down, everyone's selling. Well, you, you know, a lot of times with people that want to be active investors, yes, you, you might've got it right the first time of like, oh, I sold right before things got bad. Well, now, like you just said, 
Now you got to find when's the right time to buy back in. And if you were trying to time the market, you're probably going to miss that time. And there's a lot of research that shows if you miss some of the best days in the market, it really impacts your portfolio. And so that's why you've got to find, you now got to be great at timing it twice, not just once. Exactly. I remember 2008, you know, that market crash and the great housing market crash and, and so forth. And I met so many new potential clients who, you know, said, well, I sold everything off. Um, I'm just sitting in cash right now. I have it all sitting in my bank. You know, I'm waiting for things to calm down, you know, and I would ask them, you know, like, well, what, when is that, you know, what day or what day is that going to be, you know, and it's just, you know, fear a lot too. We just, we, we know research has emphasized, we've talked about it today, you know, the importance of staying invested, the importance of the long-term and looking at, you know, staying the course being so important but you know after all this conversation today how can we how can we encourage i guess with learning more about investor behavior how can we speak to that to our veterinarians to stay invested and to keep the course keep putting money in the 401k even if the market's all over the place no i think one of the best is always find someone that you trust, like find an advisor, find somebody to work with. And I'm not here to to sell that or be that way to to get it where like, oh, you have to use an advisor because, you know, there are people that are do it yourself or I even myself have my own advisor. Like I know that and I am an expert in this world, but and I know that there's things that I will overlook on myself. And even the Nobel Prize winning people in behavioral economics, Richard Thaler, he wrote a great book and he has been actually quoted saying that he's like, I'm humans are bad at making decisions and I'm one of the worst. Like he it's I'm paraphrasing a little bit there, but he literally has been quoted saying that he sees that that's why because life is hard. Like some of the things in life, having a good advisor to give you that sounding board and we can't do everything. We can't be the jack of all trades because then we become the master of none. And so we have that that trusted resource, someone to speak to, someone that's going to always be watching out for, hey, this is a good planning topic. This is something we should consider while you're doing what you're great at is so powerful. And I know I've definitely talked about a ton of research today, but I'll mention one last thing on that is that there has been some very uh, good research that here recently has showed that looking over like a longitudinal time of people not working with an advisor and then people working with an advisor, that those that work with an advisor have a 2.3 times more amount of money saved and invested. So the fact that you're having that two times multiple, almost two and a half times multiple by working with someone you're missing out on some of those bad decisions. And it's not like anything wrong. We have life going on. Life is happening. You're going through, we're always going through some kind of transition in life. Mm -hmm. Is it having kids? Is it having uh, someone pass away in your family? Is it a death or is it a career change? These are very emotional changes in life that we all will experience at some time. Maybe not all of them and hopefully not all at the same time, but these are things. And so if you have someone when you're at a high stress or high emotional state that you can talk to that is in sound mind, is being curious for you and is coming at a level headed. I mean, we mentioned deer today. We both are in the South, so we get it. But we don't want to be a deer in the headlights when we're making those decisions because it freezes us. A deer in the headlights is not the, the behavior we want to feel whenever that time comes. So I think one of the best things that I would always recommend is always step back. Think about this decision. Is it where you want to go long term? 
and always try to find someone as a sounding board for it. And that's why a planner and advisor is just so foundational. Like you need somebody to talk to it about. Absolutely. I totally agree. It's just interesting to see how investor behavior can be kind of one of the most crippling things, crippling components to investing, right? You know, how do we build a portfolio that we can live with? I mean, I think and preach this all the time that it's not the optimal portfolio is not the one with the highest return. It's the one that my client can stick with, the one that they can stick with long-term. So as we talk about all of these behavioral science things, could we wrap up maybe with just kind of summarize what we've talked about today and give, again, your key points that our veterinarians who are listening might take home and say, yep, these are the things I'm going to start focusing on and just kind of give us a simple little run through. Yeah. So um, one I'll mention is that working with somebody is so foundational. Having that person that's the sounding board is so important for you. Having these behavioral biases, don't feel like you need to understand every single one or understand or actually go and get a, another for your vets, go get another doctorate in you know behavioral science. Because if your passion is doing this, find someone that's going to consider these things. And like in another piece that I'll mention, like what you said about what is the portfolio that's most optimal for them, think about where you want to go and what you want to do. Sometimes I think that that is probably the the biggest takeaway I will I'll leave like and summarize with is like you said, the optimal portfolio for you might not be the one that's going to give the best return. And that's okay because maybe your goals are different and I would like to believe and I'll make a strong assumption they are. And it's like the phrase that everyone's like, oh, I love to travel. Well, do you? Or is that the world influencing you because that's what you just see somebody that does love to travel? Maybe you don't. That's okay. And figuring out like the portfolio that matches the life that you want, the the veterinarian practice that you want. Do you want to have it owned by a larger institution? There's nothing wrong with that if that's the business you want. Do you want to run it and have multiple business partners with you? That's if you want it. Do you want it as like a solo shop and it's not scaling to be something there? That is all these are options that you can have. And I think that's one of the most purposeful things that when you're working with an advisor and that I would always want them to take away is understanding that think about what you want. What does Marsha want? What does Jordan want? I think are so important instead of what does the world think I need or what does my industry think I need? Because setting those goals, having the investment portfolio that matches your goals and the life you want to live is what's most important there because that's what's going to have you fulfilled and have you happier every day if you're living the job and the life you want and less of what someone or the world is influencing you on. That was so good. So well said. So well said. So important. Well, thank you, um, Dr. J. This was fabulous. I hope to continue this conversation on another podcast down the road. We really appreciate you being here. I was happy to be here and I always love chatting with you, Marsha. Yeah, same to you. Thank you. And I have just one word, dear. It always comes down to dear. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Right? Here in New Jersey, my wife, the first time she hit a deer, she called the insurance agent and she was all upset. Because the deer bounded off the road. It was during rutting season and it banged into the quarter panel of her car. And she was all upset. And the insurance agent said, Nancy, Nancy, Nancy. Here in Hunterdon County, New Jersey, it is not a question of if you will hit a deer. It's a question of when you will hit a deer. (laughs) About the same here. It's so true. I I mean, I wasn't in the car. My father, when I was actually living in Alabama, we were in North Alabama at the time. 
hit a deer totaled his whole car and then literally it's so funny you bring that was such like a great like nugget marsha because literally my backyard yesterday walked outside we had like a whole family we had like a buck we had a doe everything in the backyard and i live right north of like downtown so i'm not rural but i'm i'm a suburb of atlanta if you're passing the highway i mean it's sad to say it but like you're gonna like in georgia you will see one on the side of the road Absolutely. Absolutely. And I forgot to mention, thank you for saying that, Jordan, because I forgot to mention that you were at Vet South with me and Alpharetta, which is your neck of the woods. So yeah. for any veterinarians listening, if you um, saw us there at Vet South, you may have may have met Jordan already. So we hope to grab you next year, too, when we're there. Yeah, that was great. That was that yeah. was great, uh, Dr. J, if I can presume to call you that. <laughs> <laughs> you can call me whatever, Jordan. <laughs> It's funny I because I, I don't know. I don't know. I live. I live not too far from Philadelphia, so I've got to be really careful with that moniker. Okay, so that's <laughs> true. I'm I'm married to a New Yorker, so I had to inherit all New York teams. Oh, so, uh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> from a Jersey guy, I I I had a feeling that was coming. I am so sorry, but thank you very much, Jordan. I appreciate your contribution to today's podcast. Very interesting. Marsha, always, you're always interesting to listen to. And I'm sure there's some people out there who want to reach out and get in touch with you, perhaps have a conversation, carry this on a little bit further. How could they do that if they want to? Yeah, absolutely. Our office phone number is 205-795-795. 2013. And an easy way to find me on my website is meetwithmarsha.com. And remember, Marsha is with an A, um, M-A-R-C-I-A. So C-I-A at the end. So meetwithmarsha.com. All right. Thank you very much. For those of you who are listening who are not subscribers yet, my question to you is why not? Just hit the subscribe (laughs) button. It's really easy to do. That way you don't ever ever have to remember when and where you heard an issue, you know, an episode of this podcast, because it will be delivered to you and you won't miss another one of these fantastic conversations. If you like it, we'd humbly ask that maybe you rate it, support it, share it with folks, help get the word out about the podcast. On behalf of Marsha, I'm Bill Tucker, reminding you to go out and live your best life and do it today. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Making Hay podcast. Click the follow button to be notified when new episodes become available. Visit our website at meetwithmarsha.com or give us a call at 205-795-2013. And don't forget to click the follow button to be notified when new episodes become available. Content here is for illustrative purposes and general information only. It is not legal, tax, or individualized financial advice, nor is it a recommendation to buy, sell, or hold any specific security or engage in any specific trading strategy. Results will vary. Past performance is no indication of future results or success. Market conditions change continuously. This commentary reflects the personal opinions, viewpoints, and analyses of Marsha Miller. It does not necessarily represent those of RFG Advisory, their clients, or their employees. This commentary should not be regarded as a description of advisory services provided by Marsha Miller or RFG Advisory or performance returns of any client. The views reflected in the commentary are subject to change at any time without notice. 
Advisory services offered by investment advisory representatives or RFG Advisory LLC. RFG Advisory or RFG, a registered investment advisor. Advisory services are only offered to clients or prospective clients where RFG Advisory and its representatives are properly licensed or exempt from licensure. No advisory services may be rendered by RFG Advisory unless a client agreement is in place.